space-time, the ever-expanding frontier. These are the records of the most needlessly complicated rewatch of the Star Trek franchise ever. Its mission, to locate every second, contemplate every eon, from outside time to the Big Bang, to the 20th century, all the way to the end of all existence. To do what no sane entity has ever done before. This is the Temporal Trek Podcast. Hello and welcome back to the Temporal Trek Podcast. We are in Chronodate, Season 3, Episode 13 of the podcast and Season 1, Episode 10 because we've just jumped back in time now, back to Coldfront. We're now back into the Netflix order or Paramount Plus order or however you like to say it from streaming. We've come out of the Star Trek Chronology Project order. Uh, I'm not going to be doing this one alone. This is Cold Front. This is the return of the Temporal Cold War. Uh, Hang on a minute. I'm just going to pull up my guest on the little device here. Incoming transmission. Uh, Dan, are you there? I am indeed. Pleasure to speak. See you in person. Yes, it is the first time we've spoken in person. Uh, this is very exciting for me because uh, I've known Dan for quite some time now on uh, the Kick app, just like uh, our guest Ben a few episodes ago back on Unexpected. Uh, I met him through uh, the Kick app and our little Star Trek chat group that's on there. Uh, if you haven't joined, come and join us. We've got a, about 50 slots where we can pit people in and talk about Star Trek in any order, any show, at any time. Uh, but I've met Dan a long time ago. Uh, interest, introduce yourself to the listeners, Dan. Okay, my name also is Dan. I'm about years old, and I have been heavily involved in the Star Trek world since I was about five years old. My dad took me as a five-year-old to see Star Trek before the voyage home and left a big impression on me. The first scene I still remember from that film is actually the whale scene when they go into the warp field as a child. I understood it at a very kid level, and then I just remember watching the film and just loving it. A few years later, it was a good old um, Star Trek Next Generation debuting. My first real Trek love, though, has to be Deep Space Nine. I cannot ever say how much I enjoyed that show other than the contrast between everything in there. But over the years, if you've got a Star Trek episode, I'm a very happy man. Nice. Yes. Yeah, I mean, any Trek is good Trek, isn't it? It's just, you know, just tune in to whatever you need. But sometimes there are just some series that are just a cut above the uh, above the rest. Uh, and I'm, I'm with you on that. Deep, Deep Space Nine is the one that I can come back to and just be blown away with how much they were getting away with and what they were doing in Star Trek. That was so different to everything that had come before. Um, and how deep and rich that show is. And I cannot wait to get to it in the 10 years' time it's going to take me to get there. But that's the joy of Star Trek. I think they've come up to now 100 episodes broadcast. And that just says it all. It's about two and a half years of viewing, roughly. But I mean, for me, it's Star Trek because of the diversity of characters, plots, but also that underlying backstory of certain things you can look forward to as a fan. You know what's coming, roughly, in terms of either special effects certain types of, shall we say, expectations of transporters, phases, whatever, how that's going to be used, or in a different way. But also with my Star Trek, just generally, it's just been that power or so of complete switch off, unwind and enjoy. Absolutely. 
So with Enterprise, um, how did you discover it? Did you come across it as and when it was airing first time back in the 2000s, or was this something you came to later? Um, I was aware of it when it was first being broadcast, because obviously there had been a huge publicity drive for the new show, as it was at the time. And in the UK, um, it was actually secured, first of all, by Channel 4 to broadcast, rather than the ones that were held in the past BBC. So like many fans, I tuned in out of interest. But at the time, it was anything called Enterprise, not Star Trek Enterprise, because there was this great drive of trying to make it a new type of track. So that's how I came to it originally. Yeah, it, it, it seems a bit odd now to think that they were trying to not make Star Trek Star Trek, but it seemed to work. Uh, people still came to it. Um, I think it's taken a while for people to warm up to the series uh, and for it to get its just desserts. Uh, but watching it back now and doing sort of rewatches and things like that, I'm, I'm surprised in how much I missed first time round. Um, so yeah, I, I, I enjoy that, uh, enjoy that immensely. Um, okay, let's get into the episode itself. Uh, as I've already mentioned, we are in Cold Front. It is the return of the temporal Cold War. Um, unlike our normal format, uh, I'm a little bit pushed for time at the moment because uh, my kid has just started nursery, but they're doing like an introduction hour. So we're currently recording first thing in the morning uh, for us. Uh, but uh, uh, we were going to be breaking the episode down rather than by a scene, just a general episode discussion for a good half an hour or so. So what were your thoughts, Dan, on this particular episode? Right. When you watched Enterprise for the first time, the Cold Front War is made to be this huge, dramatic, very complex storyline. So Cold Front as an episode, for myself, I'm expecting as a fan for it to either reveal a little bit more or to set the scene for future games, which it does tend to do. What I find interesting about the episode is that we introduce the new protagonist in the sense of temporal I'm going to say investigator, the person from the future coming back to Archer, and this kind of confrontation between the Sulan plus this other person. Where I have issues with the episode is actually, I feel like I'm lacking a little bit of that setup. It comes back to a very traditional Star Trek setup of the guest actor this, the guest actor, but we're not going to spoil it for anyone who hasn't seen it, but let's just say there's a dramatic Harley. And as a fan, that I'm always going, hmm, you could have done more here in terms of either pacing it better, maybe even some basic details more, but there's a lot of good within it. And this is one of my feet to Enterprise generally, especially as this was its first season. There was a lot of good within it. There's a lot of great ideas there bubbling around the room. But the Temple Cold War, I find very complex at times as a fan. I'm going, Okay, it's a new show, it's set at the time as a proof to all types of Star Trek, but you're going to a war that is in time. There's a lot of good backstories that could have been picked up on. And with Enterprise as a show, it flipped away from the Central Cold War to actually exploring origins of the Confederation. I found that more interesting. This Cold War idea is a great idea. I always felt like going, flip your ideas around, guys. Within the show, I always liked the Sulan. I mean, I'd always characterise him as looking like an 
almost like a melon, mm. that type of skin. Mm. It's a different type of alien. It's obviously prosthetic work. Good CGI's for their, shall we say, unusual creatures, to twist the hand and all things like that. And what I like about the Suleban is the fact that they're a race that's introduced that's actually not technologically advanced compared to others. And the way they're trying to get that is through possibly underhand deals. Mm. What I want to know about the Suleban though is, what is their home world? Is it all of them that are doing this? Is there this the same person that's brought forward and they're always on a mission? The B plot line within the show of the renewal of, and I still cannot pronounce it after 10 years, <laughs> Agarata. Mm-hmm. Special effects, plume, is what I expect from my Star Trek. Yeah. Beautiful special effects. Wow. It's a bunch of blokes turning up mm. to watch basically the champagne bottle. <laughs> and that's one of the problems I actually have with Star Trek, especially in comparison to some of the other shows. When they cast either secondary characters or they have a protagonist, mm. nine times out of ten, it's a bloke. Nine times out of ten, I find myself going, it's a bunch of blokes in the Diversity, as one of the most diverse casts in history, where is the female protagonist against the male protagonist? Mm-hmm. They really do miss that good trick. I also find that the casting in this episode of the, shall we say, supporting actors, a little bit bland. Mm. The people there on this holy quest, or whatever they're calling it, try to look excited, guys. Eventually, <laughs> holy quest, and you look bored. Yeah. So it's the DS9 Profits and with um, Kai's costumes and stuff on somebody else. And I did find that a bit lacking. Mm. What I did appreciate with all of that, even though I criticised it, is at least they explored faith without the infamous must believe this. It's just shown as faith. Mm. Star Trek's history with religion is very complex. Gene wrote very, very much about not portraying faith in action. I think it was only in Voyager that there was a first time reference to somebody going like, oh my god. DS9 as a show explored religion in a very complex manner. So to see faith represented in a meaningful context was wonderful. I mean, coming back though to Enterprise's Cold War front themes, one thing that I always felt let down by within Enterprise, and I don't want to spoil this to those who have seen it, but it's heavily implied that there is some kind of person from the future running this cult of war. Yeah. Once in the show, we have the infamous sparkly effect around the shadow, and that's it. Mm-hmm. You never really get answers to this question as a fact who is it? What is going on here? Yeah. And I think this is very poor writing. Mm. The idea is sound, yeah. but it's very complex. 
Absolutely. No, and I, I can definitely see that, yeah. And the other thing I find with it when we have this mysterious character driving all these things, what is the threat or risk to the student drug? Oh, the person loses their genetic enhancements for a mission. So that's why I get, I might get bored with the episode, but I'm a bit like, oh, okay. The special effects of the Daniels as a character when he reveals through his medical pad, yeah. the observatory, and all those type of things, those effects still hold. Mm. They're really, really well constructed and they are interesting. Mm. And it's clear that's to set up future episodes and future ideas of exploring history and time. But, by just dropping that hint in mm. from a character who I would actually characterise as quite dull, mm. I'm a bit like, oh wow, you're pressing a button on your device, mate. <laughs> Showing us these pretty things, and then you get killed. <laughs> That's where the casting of the end as a show sometimes let itself down. Mm. They didn't have a casting of the crew as a whole, but Star Trek sometimes lets itself down a little bit when it thinks about its secondary characters and secondary casting. And if we go back to Deep Space Nine, that is pretty much a show where the secondary actors in the cast, in their own right, were incredible actors and actresses. I mean, we could talk for hours just about saying the character and the casting of the cast. That is considered one of the best character castings by many people. If we go into Voyager, which is a show which can be maligned, mm. so secondary casting for some of the episodes is beautiful. Mm. How about explore, for instance, the character of Naomi Wildman? The next generation, even though my job at Berry was pretty much part of the Trek tradition, let's face it, her casting as Roxana Troy stunned. Mm-hmm. To this day, still like the ultimate presentation of the overbearing mother. <laughs> you see it now in Discovery, the casting of secondary characters and a little bit of the card as well. But in Enterprise, the secondary casting, it's almost like they forgot the attention to detail. It's not the actor who can act, but his interactions with Archer are very flat to my eye. It's a bit like, I'm in the future, I know what I'm talking about, but then I get killed. Mm. So that's my views on it. I mean, I do like Enterprise, and when you re-watch it, I do feel it holds, it's an idea. Yeah. But as a fan, I cannot understand Temple Cold Wars. This is supposed to be about the foundation of Star Trek and Starfleet. When it flips into seasons three and four and starts exploring the foundation, and especially when it brings in the Andorians, mm. She's exciting because that shows the foundation to being built for the future. This terrible Cold War idea, I really felt, was more like further down the line. Yes. Yeah, it's, it's like you're reading my mind because um, in previous episodes we've been watching as we've been going through season one, uh, there was these great uh, standalone episodes but you could easily put them together as... Uh, Enterprise is the lawman coming to the western town and driving out all of the bandits. 
uh, it's different different factions, different alien races, and that in itself would have been an interesting season one. Uh, uh, the you know the movement from Starfleet as being an exploration ship to being not only exploration but also a lawmaking ship to, to perhaps you know cement this idea of the Federation to um, have them constantly coming up against these wayward bandits at what seems at first wayward bandits all operating on their own but gradually you start to realize maybe there's something a bit more behind it perhaps it's the orion syndicate perhaps there's like a coordinated sort of mafia of uh, alien races there is a collaboration of races but for a nefarious purpose so this is the the reason why starfleet was actually brought together was because it was the alliance of races who wanted to cooperate and work together and as you were saying you know, this temporal cold war, although interesting in concept, does, it's, it feels like it's something that should have been season two, season three, maybe even season four. Uh, something that comes in just at the end, after we've cemented what exactly Enterprise is doing here. We get to know the characters, to get to know the ship itself and its capabilities. And it's up against, you know, a, a slightly lesser foe, you know, pirates, disorganized bandits here and there gradually building up to something like a temporal cold war where people are trying to subvert the basis of the federation um so i completely agree with you that it, it felt like that storyline as good as it could have been and maybe wasn't actually brought to a fruition at the end didn't need to happen now it wasn't a season one thing uh, and i think this episode kind of sums it up very very well in that that story's there but there's a whole other story which could have been more potentially interesting you had flux going through a very personal story uh he's going through this uh chance to meet with members of another faith to perhaps see uh another side to life uh in a, a far more open and honest discussion as you mentioned as well not just uh talking about uh you know your faith is wrong you need to be an atheist you need to you know be agnostic you need to denounce your gods and think differently um, they were having an honest and open discussion yes maybe not exactly the most thrilling scene to see them all standing around eating canapes discussing faith and why they need to be there but it was at least a discussion of faith and i think i was more interested in seeing the character arc for flocks flocks being such a good character uh, and having him have this uh reawakening of not necessarily faith but at least an appreciation of people's differences um it, it was a star trek story that i think i was more interested in even though all the pew pews and the interesting action is happening with the, the temporal cold war element that could have been a whole other episode separately as well there were two stories going on here that didn't need to happen and it, it's almost like a little microcosm of the entire season two stories that didn't need to coexist at the same time you could have had temporal cold war in season two and you could have had this awakening on the the basis of the characters and the character arcs for all of the supporting cast as well as the main cast as well um and, and got something more out of it something maybe more meaningful to season one uh and seeing all of these little tidbits from all the characters when we have hoshi and travis in the lift uh in the in the um turbo lift and they're discussing that they don't want to watch the really bad crappy uh sci-fi shows that trip is forcing them to watch by the way this is one of my hashtag traitrids for the listeners it's time you learned to weigh the possible repercussions of your actions you've always been impulsive 
One pan-fried catfish. And show you to the nearest airlock. Maybe this will teach you a lesson. That uh, trip, even off-screen, is uh, winding me up because he's forcing the crew to watch all the films that he likes and nobody else wants to watch. Um, so this is a traitor here. But there's so many things they could have explored with this episode. It would, it might not have been the most thrilling episode, but it would have been something more interesting. And then, you know, save the Cedric stuff for later. Save the Daniels stuff for later. And you're right, bringing it in straight away. No lead up. We haven't introduced Daniels before. Maybe have Daniels in the background being, you know, somewhat trustworthy, but sometimes you're, des- you're sort of doubting his intentions. And then gradually we build up to this idea that he's actually been placed there as a temporal agent. That, I think, would have been a bit more interesting. Uh, any other thoughts on, on Flocks, perhaps, and that storyline, the, the religious storyline? I think with the character of Flocks, it always comes down to missed opportunities. We really don't see his race ever again in Star Trek. Yeah. I don't always actually, the prosthetics that are used for the actor. I've always said it looks like a half Cardassian <laughs> mixed with what I found on the shop floor. <laughs> the actor's He's got a wonderful tone of voice. He's got that slightly white Star Trek feel to the fact that he accepts the surrealness of it all in a good, healthy way. Fox as a character is interesting, but it's, it's representing a race that we don't never see again. But they bought it that actor in a race sort of way. I find with the characters in this episode generally is Trip Tucker is basically there to do the eye candy tour of the ship. That's his role. Yep. say it's a mix and mash of lots of different ideas that could be explored is where was the planning? Mm-hmm. I think with this show as a whole, because um, Scott Bakula is an established actor, comes with his own fan base, very successful in the sci-fi franchise, has had very good critical and commercial success, it's almost like you can time to second how much he's on screen to fulfill his contract. Mm. Understandable. It was a different type of Star Trek passing and bringing in somebody who was well established. It'd been tried once with Voyager and that was not a success and they had to move past. And he's a very good captain character. But sometimes the captain or the lead character has to step back 
but it's very telling other than the Star Trek card that Star Trek's show and as a franchise has never again gone for an established person to create a new role. What I also find with the characters generally in this is there's actually a sense that they're very comfortable with their roles being what they are. This is only the 10th episode of the first season. I would expect them to not be as comfortable as they should be. Yeah, that's true. I'd expect them to be finding out, for instance, you don't press this button. Or this is broken, you've got to fix it. It's supposed to be the first ship of its class. It's supposed to be new. It's supposed to be a sense of exploration. It's almost like, oh, we're on a pleasure cruise. <laughs> There's a little sense of learning about the ship. It's presented very much as a completed vessel. There's no mystery about it. I mean, if you look at even the design of it, why have it been structured like this? That only really comes through in season two, when we have to have new things put on the ship to deal with bigger threats. Yeah. Those opportunities have been lost. I mean, if you look very carefully at the bridge design, there's hand grab rails. Yeah. Don't really see them used. Yeah. But that's a great feature. Mm. We see within the show as a whole, lots of opportunities that could have easily been thought about. Hmm. I do like surprise, it's just that I found that the overall parking and the general structuring of it a bit confusing. And when I now look at shows that come through, especially Discovery, and I've possibly made, made this point, and you've heard me say this on my several times, hmm. because of the net and the emphasis on the story arc telling, there's this sense of planning. And it comes through with the cards as well. And I can criticise both shows for their arc telling, but there's this great sense of we have direction. Yeah. And it's almost like they've just on paper what the ideas could be, and they ruled out things that would not work. Or if they had a contentious idea, for instance, Star Trek Discovery wants to return the universe, at the way it's planned for and the way it's managed means that that complex idea for a non-plan would still make sense of a kind. Very true. Whereas in ice, I think because it was the new show, not called Star Trek, mm. high grade person brought in this, this, this and this, the nuts and bolts are sometimes missing for me. And now with the way the shows are unfolding, Picard definitely has a style of its own, a sense of the planning. And you see from the season two trailers for that, that there's a heavy emphasis on planning that storyline. With strange new worlds coming through, the indications are that the production values behind the scenes are now emphasising planning and plotting storylines and arts. That is what I felt Enterprise lacked at times. When you contrast it to Voyager, Voyager's overall arc is quite simple. We need to get home. These space lines arc, war. Next generation's arc of a kind to explore. What was Enterprise's overall arc? 
two years of a temporal war which nobody really understood, <laughs> and then two years rebuilding the Federation. Yeah. It just seemed that there was an opportunity missed the show. But it's still a show that has its positives, and it does fill in the blanks in the Star Trek chronology. True. And it does show in particular how Vulcans evolve as a race, and how what we see on the screen later, even in spot years, is radically different to what they once were and why. Definitely, as a show, tries to show how exploration could happen. It still has that very traditional Star Trek multi-race casting, exploring different origins and so on. It's just... I just feel like saying, guys, this is your plan B. It's your plan A. <laughs> it's true. It's true. Um, oh, that's a perfect jumping in point for our next category. So we've kind of talked generally about the episode. Um, when we do the ratings here on uh, Temple Trek, for any new listeners, uh, we go by the LCAS system. So L was locating the point in time, or locating the episode and discussing it. Uh, we then move on to C in LCAS, and that's for consequences. Uh, watching this episode, Dan, do you think that there are any consequences from the just the events in this episode that will impact the Federation forevermore? Uh, is there something in this that really stands out for you as... Without this, there's no way of explaining X, Y, and Z in the future. It comes back to the Temple Observatory, because that shows people either making observations about different periods of time, or it sets up this idea of there is the possibility of time travel being used. When you go to other shows, especially Discovery, that idea of temporal investigations, temporal war and more, is still used mm. within this self enterprise. Time is meant to be a thing. Mm. So this feel there is technology or the ability to access time streams is important. Mm. I think the other thing that's very much with the time concept when it's explored in that temporal observatory is that there are people that have very good intentions with time and there are those that have very poor intentions and again that is something that gets explored not only within Enterprise but as a theme as a whole mm. and it comes back very much within the shows where they've explored time if this happens and these events change mm. there are consequences so that term consequences means time just jumps out at me as the episode mm. I think the other thing that's big consequence of this episode of the Enterprise of the show is the recognition that there is more going on behind the scenes with characters Suleban, Daniels and so on. Enterprise is very much being seen as the smallest piece on a chessboard mm. being played. Organization mm. is very useful because you start to understand why this temple culture could be so complex. Mm. Because manipulated slightly has a huge spiral impact. It's illustrated so that the Sudaban character prevents the ship from exploding. Mm. I mean, in terms of temple ideas, that's basically saying that the Enterprise should have been 
destroyed, barely one room destroyed. Now instead, the Enterprise is saved, it moves on into becoming a foundation piece in its own right for Federation history. Mm. So those consequences are quite far for the show and for Star Trek and the chronology of the shows as a whole. Mm. The consequences for Archer as a character, though, is that realisation of his exploration zeal and his passion for going out there is going to have to change. He's almost going to have to become a militarised captain rather than this I'm out here to explore, almost like a final frontier, wild west type exploration. He's going to have to become militarised. For him as a character, that's an arc. I think also the consequences of the episodes for the fans are the sense of there is more to come to look at these ideas. Yeah, I, I agree with every point you just said. <laughs> so it makes my job so much easier. Um, yeah, I, there's so many consequences story-wise, and we have seen um, Discovery come back to this in Season 3, even directly referencing the Temporal Cold War as this major event. Uh, even it's in their past now that they've jumped forward in the future. Um, there's other consequence for me was that um, the Vulcan Science Directorate are so very wrong about time travel and this is the first instance in this episode where that assessment of time travel as a possibility uh, is brought up as a science directorate impossibility by T'Pol. Uh, so this is the first time, uh, chronologically speaking, in Enterprise where uh, the Vulcans don't believe that time travel is possible. So as Dan was just saying, uh, it, this is the cementing of the idea that time travel isn't just possible, it's an inevitability, and it's a technology that is coming to Starfleet. It may take a thousand years, but it is something that is coming their way, and this is the groundwork for it. Um, so that was consequences. Now, in Cars, we move on to A for alterations. Now, alterations doesn't mean we have to change the episode. If we liked it, we can keep it the same way. But, Dan, would you want to see anything expanded from this? Would you want more detail? Or what would you change specifically about this episode? Oh, um, see Star Trek casting 101 is coming up. <laughs> now, the very one talking about in our kick group in particular, every now and then we like to say, what if? Mm-hmm. We can think about who would we have cast? What would we have done differently? Now, Dan is chuckling at this point in the video because he's spent three years of reading my comments and he knows that I'll go and loving them, I would, and loving the comments. I would <laughs> My major one, I would recast Daniels as a female protagonist for Archer. Now, the reason why I'm saying this, it's actually because I want Archer to have a different experience. The Sullivan character is presented as male. Daniels is presented as male. Star Trek is missing out here. We rarely actually see a female protagonist. When they do feature, actually, I feel the writing gets better. Because the production team start thinking more. It's almost like identical casting. Go find a bloke who can cope with the action scenes, this, this, and this. It's boring. <laughs> I'll, I'll 
be, I would love to be classed as that as a her, because I feel very strongly it brings a different dimension. Coming back also to any alterations I've made to the show, it's a controversial one. The Sulevad initial scene where we see the eyes being operated on. Gory. Now, it's a fine balancing that because of the uh, restrictions, actually getting a good view inside. It's just like basically we see the character strapped down and being threatened. There's not even a clunk of medical instruments. There's no sound effects to play with the organs. And I think that is needed solely because we have to understand why this is a threat to the shield arm. We're just told he's had an operation. Mm. We don't need to afterwards or making some kind of comment. Another alteration I would actually make to the show, this episode in particular, is I would cut any of the storylines which talk about the ship crew watching that sci-fi film, the pacing alone. Mm. And I've actually dialogue which relates to either the bloom of Akatania, or whatever it was called, mm-hmm. or this. They're there, their ship is unprecedented today. They've got the seal of our navy on board. Where's the red alert sign? Where's security through? Why are they not locking down the ship or whatever? It just means like we've been told there's a threat, <laughs> but we forgot to let everybody know. And I think it's those attention to details that are needed to be swept into this episode. Because the theme of it and the scripting of it itself, that's pretty much sound. Values are a bit lacking in that sense for me. Is, uh, and the other thing I really would like to see is, is uh, it actually concerns the episode of the cargo bay or whatever it is, where Archer kind of drops halfway over and then the Sulevan agent under, say, dive bombs through space. That's actually really good. Mm. And it's just hanging off the rail. And then he staggers off. <laughs> wow. <laughs> That's just a... Again, Star Trek as a show has a great history of aesthetic work and special effects work. He doesn't even look at it when he's hanging off there. And I think those little attention to details are desperately needed. And a real criticism I'd make is if the crew are going to be watching some kind of sci-fi film as a gathering, there's no sense if they're on their downtime. You know, you've got to play your audience a little bit here. The audience are actually quite capable of picking up on very minor details. You know, our pick group, by God, do pick up on minor details. But those minor details can enrich the experience of everyone. Not just the actors, but the fans, and vice versa. For those who can take Interesting. They, yeah, these are great alterations. I really enjoy these. Uh, I'm I'm with you on so many different things because it, it feels like there were two episodes here, so it it should have been split. It should have had this religious journey for Flocks, 
Um, and as you mentioned earlier, that the, there was very little diverse casting. That could have been an issue in and of itself. Um, Flocks asking them, why are all of your religious people male in this group? Um, and it could have perhaps then gone the traditional Star Trek route of actually, well, women aren't allowed to, you know, be part of our religion. And this could have been a commentary on what was happening. Um, this was, you know, early 2000s. Women had only been indoctrinated into uh, the um, Church of England. So the, uh, the Anglican uh, faith uh, for only a few years before this episode aired. This could have been a commentary on women in faith. Uh, and Flocks could have been the counterpoint to that. He has... Uh, this appreciation of faith, uh, but he has, uh, from his own culture, the idea that men and women have virtually equal roles uh, and that that's abhorrent to him. And there's this clash between the use of faith as um, something to affirm your life and then the use of faith to disaffirm or to disillusion um, your life and to hold others in your society back. That could have been, for me, a far more interesting episode to have had, all set around this plume of Agasauria and, you know, the idea that people are worshipping space. And, uh, uh, you know, maybe we could have had a science versus religion aspect with Trip um, when he does the whole um, uh, tour around the Enterprise and he's being very patronising to them. Um, you know, the idea that uh, the scientists perceive religious people in a very patronizing way that this could have been another commentary of the episode and then left the temporal trek bit the cold front bit to a completely new episode later on um so i i completely agree that, that the splitting of the two delving more deeply into these ideas and giving them something perhaps more interesting to talk about and more believable as characters and as you've been saying as well that they aren't set in stone that this is questioning flocks um, and, and his views on the world because it's not quite set in stone yet because it's season one, we're still learning about the characters um, there was so much more that could have been done here and perhaps given them an extra episode so I'm, I'm completely with you on that uh, I usually try and make it whenever I, would, I do alterations that I've got all these things, they have to happen and I realised that it was probably written in so that they had an excuse to get Silic on board uh, but you could have easily done this as a you know, science charting exercise by the uh, by the Enterprise. Again, the plume of Agasauria, perhaps they were studying it. The Sulabon sneak on board through the radiation and you know hiding in the star or proto star using future technology. And then it's uh, you know we've got a spy on board. It's a reverse of Die Hard. They've got to get rid of the the one uh, aggregate on board who is like messing up their plans. Uh, and it's Archer versus Silic and. Daniels could come in another episode and just, you know, come back another time. Or he comes in and helps them because he knows that Silic is on board. Um, so, yeah, so many different things that could have been done here that uh, lots of ideas, lots of great ideas, just not delivered properly. OK, well, um, our last set of criteria is R. Now, R splits into two and we've got recommendations for Star Trek fans and recommendations to non-Star Trek fans. So firstly, Dan, would you recommend this episode as an essential part of Star Trek to be watched? To a fan, I would actually have to say yes, simply because it's the first time we actually get a sense of temporal cold war and what that could mean. But also, I bet to be controversial and say to a fan, it's essential but sit there with gritty teeth. <laughs> what's going on? If you story of enterprise things building up to it, diving straight into it, people will go, I'm sorry, what's going on? 
to a non-fan, I'm going to be very, very controversial and say, avoid. If somebody was a trick and they sat down to watch this episode, what they would really see is kind of like a chase around ship, pretty special effects, and some things going on. It ties into the themes of Trek and the Enterprise plots, whatever. But if it's taken as a standalone episode, it's actually very complex. Some of the Star Trek standalone episodes that have recommended to the fans, or ones that people love, tend to be ones that can, for one of their throws, hold their own. If we go back to the original series, there are episodes in that that hold their own. Classic example for me is actually the Doomsday Machine. Because that shows very simply an idea. It shows the incredibly good acting, considering the time it's filmed in the 60s, the despair of a character through one person, and also the consequences. We go to the next generation. The inner life is still being loved by many, many fans, myself included. The ideal of that, and what it shows, and how it's presented, a non-fan can understand it. I can give so many examples, even recently with Discovery, the episode Forget Me Not. I adore that episode as a fan. It's a standalone episode that introduces so many concepts so well. This episode doesn't hold for me for non-fans as a standalone which introduces ideas or is one that can be viewed for the quality of acting or storyline or whatever. So for non-fans, I'd actually say, don't watch this first, you won't understand track. But that, I can't raise it high, very highly. Yeah, and I'm in the same same boat as you on that one. So to to know to the Star Trek fans, yes, you need it because it gives that sort of context. There is this thing going in the background. You've introduced Daniels, so it's the first you know canonical introduction of Daniels. Even though we uh, on this podcast have seen Daniels many a time because we've already seen him in the 20th century and we've already seen him in several other uh, episodes as well. Um, but chronologically speaking, if you were just watching Enterprise. This is the introduction of Daniels. But I remember first watching Enterprise and forgetting this episode. Program loaded and ready. Alexa, stop. There we go. Um, never mind, just Alexa talking to me. Um, yes, so uh, this introduces Daniels and I remember like, forgetting this episode. <laughs> I know it's an odd thing to say that I remember forgetting it, but in the seasons to come, in the years to come, when this was revisited by season three, I'd completely forgotten Cold Front, and I didn't really play it in my mind. I, I knew that he had died, and that they were bringing the character back later in other episodes, spoilers, uh, but um, I, it didn't really play into it. it. It didn't need to be watched. So again, as you said, Dan, I'm not going to recommend to Star Trek fans um, uh, to watch on an in on of itself, uh, but you do kind of have to watch it just to get Daniels as an introduction. Uh, to non-Star Trek fans, yes, it, you know the religious story isn't given any teeth, uh, any teeth at all. Uh, it's uh, it's played for almost a background second thought, 
Um, I don't know whether that's because this is one of the three episodes that were made and still in production in the immediate wake of September the 11th, and they perhaps thought, oh, a minute, that's a religious story. Maybe we don't want to touch that just yet because we're still trying to figure out in this country how we feel about religion right now um, because of reasons. But um, perhaps that was a decision that was make it, made during the production. But it, there's, there's, it's a classic example of too many ideas, confusing uh, inputs through all the characters and very little development of the characters, really. Um, and it just suffers from not really having anything to say. Uh, it's just all set up for something that may or may not get a payoff later on in the seasons to come. Uh, so to non-Star Trek fans, I'm not going to recommend this one either. Well... That brings us to the end of the episode. Uh, thank you so much, Dan. Um, I will hope to get you in on future episodes as well, um, but I will strong arm you in the uh, in the kit group and just force you to come on board, whether you like it or not. And so, if you ever want to bring me into a special broadcast where we can talk about general things and threats, oh, yes. because you wouldn't know this about myself. I'm very openly gay. Now, Dan's probably going to start chuckling at this point because I have very, very strong views on how things like that are presented in Shrek, and I have a few ideas and suggestions I can make about that, starters, but this, I see within the Shrek episodes as a whole and the franchise, lots of things that I think are very good, and some things where I'd like to sit and down going, seriously, what were you calling that if you did this? <laughs> yes, well, um, Temple Trek Nexus Nights has taken a break uh, over the summer holidays because the, the kids were home and I couldn't get to the recording equipment. Uh, but uh, Temple Trek Nexus Nights does return, hopefully in October 2021, by the time I'm recording this. Uh, so I will have Dan on for a future episode and we will talk about that exact project. Right. All that remains for me is to set up the next episode. So join me next time as I'll have different guests discussing the next episode in the season as we're going to season one, episode 11. And it's Dear Doctor from season one. Uh, Flox's story, a whole story for just Flox on his own. Uh, thank you very much for listening. As always, I'll see you in the next time stream. I hope you've enjoyed the show. Please remember to like, subscribe and review wherever you listen to it. If you would like to be a guest in the future or give feedback, you can contact me by either searching for the Temple Trek Podcast Facebook page or find me on Twitter at Rider underscore Coattail. Also search the Temple Trek Podcast. You can also find me on Instagram at Daniel underscore Hitch underscore Writer. All the timestamps for the show can be found at ridingcoattails.simplesite.com. The scripted elements of the show are a work of pure fan fiction, and any views and opinions expressed in the episode discussions are my own or that of the guest. They do not reflect the rights holders of Star Trek. Any Star Trek sound effects or music are used under the terms of fair use and are not my own work. The intro music, Birthright by Audio Binger, is royalty free from the Free Music Archive. Check out their work and others at freemusicarchive.com. The Temple Trek is a free podcast with no Patreon or sponsorship. However, if you would like to support the show, you can find my books by searching Daniel Peter Hitch on Amazon. Thank you very much for listening, and we'll see you in the next time stream.